Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hazen. I am your host. And on today's show, we are going to share with you another one of our candidate conversations. This week, I talked with Lisa Campbell. She is a Democratic candidate in the State House for House District 35. This is a district that covers parts of Kennesaw and Ackworth. And Lisa is in a party primary runoff, a Democratic primary runoff against Kyle Renato in this district. We previously talked to Kyle about his campaign in this district, and we wanted our listeners to be able to hear from Lisa as well. Uh, Lisa and I had a great conversation about the challenges facing Georgia lawmakers right now, including the state's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and a particular focus on what that response has meant for the future of education in our state. We also talked about her views on policies needed to combat police misconduct, about her views about what needs to happen with the state budget, and about what her top priority would be for Democrats if she is a part of the class of legislative Democrats who flips the state house from Republicans to Democrats. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Lisa Campbell. All right, joining the podcast is Lisa Campbell, a Democratic candidate for the State House and House District 35. That's in parts of Kennesaw and Ackworth. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to dive in and and learn a little bit more about your campaign for State House. But before we do that, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what led you to run for this seat? Well, I'm running because I believe in the power of equality. Um, That is a really simple idea, but I believe a really important and powerful idea. Um, I want to make sure that all of our voices are heard, equally represented, and that women especially have a seat at our legislative table. And I am running because in Georgia, I think we can be doing a much better job of providing equitable access to all of our citizens to including our laws, our systems, our investment strategies, and our shared resources, so that equality becomes not just uh, something that we talk about, but something that is empowering us each and every day. And in our district in particular, you know, in, in Georgia, we have so much opportunity. We have all the resources that we need. Economically, in Cobb County, we are um, well-funded. Uh, We have lots of business support. We have a great diversity in our population and we have great activism in our in our communities as well. And so there's huge momentum to really bring to life this idea of equitable access so that we can all achieve our goals. And really, the only thing standing in our way is our current legislator who has been in his seat for the last 15 years and has increasingly voted and sponsored bills that do the opposite of empowering us with equality. And instead, they diminish our rights and they shrink our access to our shared resources. So I'm running because I think it's time for a change. Um, As a business leader for the last 32 years, um, I have a strong experience building coalitions and helping teams solve complex problems and develop new innovative ways to do things that may never have been done before. And so I'm excited to bring those skills to the Georgia General Assembly, where I think uh, we are severely lacking in representatives who are really working hard every day with each other 
to get to a yes and to get to a system that is not just in theory about equality, but in practice, really working for all Georgians equally. So one of the things that we are going to be focused on on this show is is the race for the state house. And should you win the Democratic nomination in this seat, you'd be a part of this group of Democratic candidates and competitive seats who could flip the state house to Democrats this fall. If Democrats do take the majority this year, what should be the top item on the governing agenda for House Democrats next year? Yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately, um, COVID is going to be um, something that is going to be affecting every aspect of our lives for quite some time. So I think that that will be um, our top legislative focus. And the way that I think that will come to life for Democrats, and this does, I think, tie back to our platform for running, which is equality, uh, will be understanding how do we as Georgians uh, ensure that we have expanded access to high quality, affordable health care, number one. Right now, uh, healthcare is, uh, we, there was a study that just came out today, actually, um, that ranks Georgia 51st among the states in terms of healthcare. Um, and it measured all the states, and we're last in terms of our access to high quality healthcare. So, as related to COVID, making sure that we understand how to help our citizens stay safe, but also just in the long term, using this as a moment of transformation to say, hey, our healthcare system was broken before the pandemic. Many of our citizens have zero access to care. How can we use this moment to transform and have a paradigm shift where that we provide healthcare for all of our citizens? I believe healthcare is the cornerstone, not just to um, healthy lives, but to our economy as well. You know, in Georgia, there are more than half of our counties that do not have access to a single OBGYN, which is the primary care provider for most women. Um, we have 60 counties where we don't have a single pediatrician, not one pediatrician for our families to seek health care. And in more than nine counties in Georgia, we have zero doctors. So individuals have to drive uh, outside of their county for basic things like wellness checks or vaccines or when they're sick to see a doctor. And so healthcare, I believe, will be one of the top priority issues for Democrats and for all Georgians next year. You know, first of all, we are leaving 400,000 of our citizens here. And if we were to uh, expand Medicaid funding immediately, 400,000 of our residents would be covered. So that would be an easy step one. But from there, providing greater access, uh, understanding how healthcare should not be exclusively in the hands of for-profit insurance companies and big pharma, uh, and also working with our businesses to understand um, how do we uh, provide care for all of our citizens equally. So another big issue that will be facing Democrats next year uh, relates to the events of this summer where the month of June saw demonstrations demanding change to policies governing police misconduct following the murders of George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, Breonna Taylor, and others at the hands of police. Since that time, what have you learned about what needs to change to ensure more accountability for police misconduct? And what kinds of policies would you support at the Gold Dome next year? Yes. Well, in the previous question, I talked about health care, but, you know, backing up a little bit and related to the summer, you know, our fundamental and overarching issue crisis really that we're dealing with is um, racism, systemic racism in our state and in our country. Uh, and this summer, we've seen um, 
just an overwhelming um, majority of our population who are not only saying, no, we are done with this, but you know, they're in the streets day in and day out protesting. So we must absolutely deal with it and end uh, once and for all a systemic racism in our system. Um, as a candidate, um, I stand in solidarity with um, all people of color and our campaign condemns um, obviously the cruel injustice that uh, many people in our state face um, due to police violence and hate crimes. So we think that serious action must be taken and it must be taken now and it must continue for the long term. This is not something that we can deal with this summer and you know, or we're done. This will require a long-term dedicated commitment to recognizing where the problems um, exist, uh, determining how to dismantle them, unlearning uh, a lot of behaviors that have oppressed, and then relearning how to think about anti-racism in every single thing that we do. So in terms of police reform and equal justice, um, our campaign does support and can't wait, so police reforms to understand how are we allocating our dollars? Um, can we allocate and reallocate more dollars to prevention, so expanded mental health services and access to those resources? Um, how can we um, change or repeal antiquated laws, such as um, the citizens' arrest law that was literally created with its roots racism during the Civil War? So we would be supporting uh, an immediate repeal of that, as well as um, stand your ground laws. And we also very much supported the recent hate crime legislation. And I think worthy of noting that in our district, our current representative was one of only four who voted against hate crimes legislation. And he recently was on record talking about um, the citizen's arrest and denying that is rooted in racism. So I think uh, we would be wor working really hard to um, to ensure that at all levels of government and all levels of our communities and our police forces that this is identified as a crisis and that we must in fact um, work tirelessly and immediately um, to make those changes that enable an inclusive economy, enable um, protection and care for all of our citizens, especially um, our black citizens and our, and our marginalized uh, citizens, LGBTQ, and other groups that are often bullied and often receive uh, discriminatory practices. All of that must be dismantled immediately. So Lisa, you are right. There is no end to the list of challenges that the state faces. And, and yet another fraught decision facing state and local leaders, along with parents, is the decision to reopen schools. Governor Kemp has encouraged schools to reopen for in-person instruction, and both, both the state and local districts have produced guidelines they hope would limit the spread of COVID in schools. But at a recent press conference, state public health director Kathleen Toomey said that there will continue to be outbreaks at any places at any place where large numbers of people are gathering, and a recent CDC study of a Georgia YMCA camp showed that children are not immune from contracting or spreading COVID. Do you think that the plans to reopen schools have been adequate enough to keep children and families safe? And if not, um, what would you like to have seen done differently on the state level in terms of responding to this pandemic? Yeah, well, the biggest change that I would like to see uh, at the state level and here in our district is that our leaders lean in and listen to the experts 
listen to the scientists, listen to our healthcare providers, and listen to the longtime um, academic administrators and teachers who have the hands-on experience in the classroom. And I think um, the governor's uh, recent decision to sue local leaders uh, who are listening to the experts uh, by trying to protect citizens, implementing mask mandates, um, that would be a better direction uh, for us to go in. You know, here in Cobb County, um, today we have more than 12,000 cases of COVID. We have more than 300 deaths. And currently, we have about 1,300 um, hospitalizations. Yesterday, um, our county uh, announced a four-step plan for, um, which I think they're working in the right direction. They are working closely with Dr. Janet Meemark, the Director of Public Health for Cobb and, and Douglas, and trying to understand how to phase um, the reintroduction of students into classrooms, listening to scientists, starting with the youngest children first, watching to see um, how, um, how it works, uh, if it causes spikes and increases, and then moving from there. So not just carte blanche uh, indicating they have um, the foresight when we don't, we don't have enough understanding here. We need to move uh, wisely and we need to do so with the input from our expert community. You know, there's this, uh, I think, um, false narrative that is being put out there that it, we have to choose between uh, our health, our lives, or going back to school or opening our businesses. It's that it's an either or. We have to choose and it's just a, a choice between two evils. And you know, that's just simply the facts do not bear that out. We can do both. And there are so many examples around the world um, that we could learn from. We don't have to guess completely. We can look at other countries um, who have already moved before us, adhering to guidelines, and mirror some of their practices. So I also think that, um, you know, rushing back to school and not listening to our teachers um, and their families is a mistake, and I think we need to be doing more of that. You know, everyone wants our kids to be healthy and to be um, back in the classroom, but, um, you know, this idea that we are just we should be rushing to get back to normal, I think, is it's the wrong mindset. I think we need some greater mental flexibility to say, you know, our normal will be different from this point forward. And we need to be um, open enough, creative enough, brave enough to be able to think about our decisions differently. Um, and also, as I mentioned, use this moment to create change that will be lasting change. Um, so, again, I think we really need to be leaning into our communities and our experts as we make these decisions about going back to school. And there were so many pictures yesterday of Georgia counties um, that reopened, you know, hallways full of hundreds, if not thousands of students, no social distancing, very few masks. Uh, we've seen examples of camps in North Georgia where just, you know, in a matter of days, hundreds of families, hundreds of children were infected and exposed, you know, their surrounding circle of friends and family. So we have a lot left to learn here. And I hope that our leaders will continue to really keep an open dialogue uh, with experts, with following the CDC recommendations and working together to make sure that um, our kids are safe, our teachers are safe, that our families are safe, and that we invest in um, the tools to keep them learning if they are going to be at home. So investing in broadband access, investing in digital curriculum, investing in new training for both our students and our teachers about how to learn remotely. 
So there's this short-term challenge of, of reopening schools and adjusting to potentially a hybrid or, or online-only curriculum, but it also strikes me that after all of this, there's also this long-term challenge where the state will need leaders who can create a forward-looking vision that can help students recover from this disruption to their education that could last as long as a year. And that's a disruption that's been even more difficult, as you alluded to, for students who you know don't have reliable internet access at home or, or don't have enough food at home or all of the other sort of disparities that have been highlighted by this pandemic. Do you have any thoughts about kind of a long-term recovery, a long-term vision for education in Georgia that helps students recover from what was lost during this pandemic? Yes, absolutely. I think um, I, I love the way that you are positioning this as a long-term change. And I, and I think that that um, for strategic leaders is exactly the positioning that they will be taking to say, okay, this crisis has identified a lot of gaps in our system, a lot of things that weren't working before the pandemic, like broadband access. Um, not that this is a big surprise. We've known for a long time that a lot of our students ha don't have access. Um, also, it's identified the great need for uh, more support for childcare and for access to things like three meals a day. And so um, we, I believe with you that um, we should be looking to invest in our students. So again, going back to this idea of equality, you know, sex, right there with healthcare is expanding our education. Georgia has, again, also uh, woefully uh, underfunded schools for decades. And now I think we're seeing that the outcome of that. So shifting, I think we need to look, be looking for new innovative ways. We cannot just simply rely on cuts in our budget every year and think that we're going to improve our student outcomes. We cannot simply rely on taxes as our only way to fund new innovations uh, in our school systems in terms of technology or curriculum or training. Uh, we need to be partnering with our communities and I believe our corporate partners to make sure that they are giving back. They benefit greatly from our system and we want to make sure that they are accountable for supporting our system as well. Um, as you talk about and think about the trauma associated with our kids here, I think that's a real um, area of concern. You know, several years ago, there was uh, an emphasis on social and emotional learning um, and also an area of learning called executive function, which means helping our students understand how their own brain works and how we help them support, um, manage their emotions, how we help them learn how to focus during disruptive times how we help them learn new skills of mental flexibility and seeing things from different points of view so that they can be successful. So I think with you that investing in education and again, looking to the experts to understand how do we do this differently? Now we've been talking about online virtual education for a long time. We really haven't put our money where our mouth is there. Now is the time to do that so we can see the payoff in five years and 10 years and 20 years. And we need to be doing it in all parts of our state, not just in the big cities, but also in counties and our rural areas. And, you know, shifting to things like digital learning uh, doesn't have to be all bad. And there could be a great opportunity. We're expanding our um, access to all kinds of content that might not be available in an underfunded school. We're expanding access to may have disabilities or maybe mobile um, who are not able to go into a classroom. So there can be a lot of 
positive extensions that we could take away from what is a, an enormous crisis, but turn them into pivotal ways for us to transform for the future for the better. So in the short run, lawmakers in Georgia seemed reluctant to make those investments. The Georgia legislature recently adopted a budget that cuts nearly a billion dollars in funding for K-12 education and $2.2 billion total, while not adopting any significant options to raise state revenues. All of this in response to the recession that's been caused by the pandemic. If you had been in the legislature this year, what kind of budget would you have advocated for I know you talked about that a little bit, but I think key to that is, do you think that a budget in today's context should have done more to raise state revenues? Yes. Yes. And I think that's where my background uh, in the business community and management consulting will come into play. You know, um, you know, there aren't any businesses out there that um, look at how to um, create profit and revenue by simply cutting their budget year after year. Many have done that, and, and it's not been um, sustainable for the for the long term. So I do think that we need to um, get creative in terms of how we fund things. I mentioned this earlier, but I think there's a real opportunity for us to work with our corporate partners, our businesses here in Georgia. We have some of the world's biggest brands, you know, let's say Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines, just to name two. Um, but many others, you know, manufacturing plants, the agriculture industry, the healthcare industry, they all need uh, healthy workers. They all need educated workers. They all need um, staff who understand critical thinking, who have the skills needed to, um, to work in their businesses. And they also benefit from our cities and our towns. And as we think about their contributions, uh, many of them have gotten enormous tax breaks over the years which might have been a great way to attract them to our state in the first place. Um, and I'm the supporter of, you know, uh, thriving businesses. We need them. But we also need to make sure that over the long term that we're looking to them the same way that we look to our citizens to be good corporate citizens, that there is an expectation that they will be accountable and that they will be contributing financially. They'll be contributing from a mentoring perspective, that they'll be contributing from um increasing uh, wages, that they will be supporting our workers, uh, again, with equal access to opportunities to have, you know, uh, lives that are uh, thriving. So I think we need to be looking outside of traditional taxes for new innovations, looking with our corporate partners. I also think that we need to be um, investing in our teachers. A large part of uh, what came for, you know, what we're going to be spending uh to fill some of these gaps for our education in terms of uh, digital learning and remote learning came at the expense of teachers' compensation packages. And I think there's a ten tendency to look at pensions and, and those types of packages for our essential workers. And in this case, the majority of our teachers are women, which I think is another factor we need to consider, um, but sort of putting off those decisions. Oh, we can't think about that now. And I think that's a mistake, and we should be looking for leaders who have the tenacity, who have the economic skills, who have the understanding about technology, um, to, and to create plans for us that are scalable, to predict and to be able to disrupt and innovate so we create new revenue streams and we apply those streams back to our top priorities, healthcare and education being the top two. 
So something that's pretty specific to your seat, if if you were to get the D- the Democratic nomination in this seat, you'd be challenging State Representative Ed Setzler, who's most widely known as the lead sponsor of the state's abortion ban that passed in 2019. That law was stopped from going into effect by a federal court. And in this term, the Supreme Court didn't weaken abortion access the way many had anticipated. Is this fight over Georgia's abortion ban over? And should Democrats prioritize repealing Georgia's abortion ban if they take the majority next year? I wish that it was was over. I wish that um, equality for women um, had was not up for debate, but I, I fear that our Republicans will continue. And that's what this is all about. Um, this is about oppression of women. Uh, this bill denigrates women and does not allow us to make decisions about our own bodies, our own families, with our own doctors. Uh, at, at its core, it is government interference taking away our rights in the most intimate and personal moments imaginable. And so I think certainly we will have to work hard to protect women's rights, to protect um, family rights, and to protect and expand uh, reproductive freedom and justice. Now, I'm running because I want to empower through equality. I'm running because I, I believe that we can, we have the wherewithal to expand women's opportunities to health care. Um, this bill and the representative who authored it um, are doing the opposite. This bill limited our choices. And this bill, again, going back to listening to the experts, you know, there were, uh, there was not a single medical healthcare association in Georgia who did not formally oppose this bill. Um, Our representative did not listen to them. And there was a a formal uh, letter and lobbying effort from 90 businesses across the state who did not uh, support this bill. So not only is our representative not listening to his own constituents, he's not listening to the healthcare community, he's not listening uh, to the business community, and um, just pursuing an individual um, uh, mission here. So I think we absolutely should be looking to expand healthcare. We should be looking to expand prenatal care, maternal care, menopausal care. I think one of the things that we should be working hard to do is Again, make sure that we provide greater access to care providers. As I mentioned, 70 counties without access to OBGYN care. That's just outrageous uh, in a state where we have the financial resources that we do. Um, I believe we should be expanding access to um, contraception. Uh, I believe that we should be expanding access to um, age-appropriate sex education in our schools. I think all of these things um, that are rooted in science, that are rooted in the health and well-being um, of our citizens must be our priority. Um, again, as I mentioned, from the healthcare perspective, we will have one of the highest uh, maternal mortality rates in the country. And that should be a, a crisis moment for all Georgians in a modern society where we have the tools, the technology, and the teams to be able to make sure that every woman has access to wellness care and access to health care at all phases of her life and for all of our family members. Um, so yes, I think we need to continue to uh, keep this top of mind for our citizens. And we need to make sure that our families understand that this law is not, um, it, it is about health care and it is about expanding health care for women and it is about protecting our constitutional right to make decisions about our own bodies. 
And so I think, yes, we absolutely need to to continue to protect and to make sure that that those rights are not infringed upon. So before you would get the opportunity to challenge Representative Setzler, you are one of two Democratic candidates in a runoff election to get the Democratic nomination for this seat. That is a vote that will be held on Tuesday, August 11th. You've mentioned you know, this is a seat that has been long held by Republicans, and it'll be a key seat in Democrats' uh, attempt to take the majority in the state house. So for listeners and, and for voters in your district, why should voters entrust you to be the Democratic nominee for this seat on August 11th? Yes, thank you for mentioning August the 11th, because we absolutely need everyone to go out and vote. Every single vote will count. And it's still time to get your absentee ballots to the drop boxes and early voting started this week. You know, I'm, I am the more qualified candidate um, based on 30 plus years of professional and life experience. Um, I believe the issues that we've been talking about um, that we need to work on are, um, they're, they're, they're critical. So we're talking about dismantling um, dec- you know, hundreds of years of systemic racism. We're talking about fundamentally um, providing access to health care for all of our citizens. We're talking about um, ways to protect our citizens during unprecedented pandemic. Now, these are some of the most complex um, problems uh, that any uh, representative might have faced in any time in the history of our state. And so I think it will be important to have someone who has experience, experience leading teams, has experience building coalitions, has experience uh, understanding how to create diversity uh, in the um, thought leadership that goes into legislation. Uh, And I bring that experience um, from my background consulting, uh, again, for more than 32 years, helping companies and organizations and communities anticipate the long strategic needs of a community, uh, disrupt um, systems of, this, of the status quo. I bring that experience um, rallying uh, groups of very divergent people together. Um, that's what I do day in and day out in my professional life, um, holding workshops, um, working with clients to understand how to develop new technologies, You know how to use uh, data more effectively, uh, in all areas of our life. And so, you know, as the next and in this district, first female elected representative, um, I believe that I will be able to um, bring these skills, uh, maturity, judgment um, to the campaign and be able to serve effectively in the General Assembly um, where compromise, uh, moderation, negotiating skills, uh, and a vision of understanding the long game are really going to be critical to achieving the change we all want. Well, Lisa, we really appreciate you joining the show and telling us about your campaign today. Uh, before we go, are there any other issues you'd like to touch on? Well, we've we've talked about so many, um, you know, some of the biggest ones here. Um, but for us, you know, one of the things I just want to share with all our constituents and all the listeners out there is that, you know, we... We can have equality. We can have diversity in our representation. We can and we should have better balance in our in our government. Um, and that's why I'm running to be the next um, representative who will champion um, these areas of our lives so that we can all have greater 
uh, and equitable access to share in the foundational things that make our lives here in Georgia um, uh, sustainable and uh, achieve our potential. Um, the other things we haven't talked about at great length, but also are on that list of top priorities, uh, in addition to social justice reform, in addition to healthcare and restoring women's reproductive rights, in addition to education, uh, one thing in particular would be uh, protecting voter rights. And so as we near our, this runoff and as we look to November, um, that's another great area of interest um, that we'll be lobbying hard to make sure that, uh, again, we are not suppressing voters. And we think suppression happens in a lot of ways. Um, it happens when we have too few early voting locations. It happens when we make absentee ballot uh, requests difficult. Um, suppression happens when we um, don't have enough poll workers to staff and our voters have to stand in line. So that is uh, a one area that we haven't touched on, but definitely is a big, big issue. Um, we also haven't touched on some things like climate, uh, our climate crisis. Uh, access to clean air and clean water and making sure that we're holding companies accountable uh, when they, um, like here in Cobb County, when we have a, a major company who um, is uh, now the, the science deems that they are um, polluting um, through coal ash, uh, our water and uh, damaging um, our citizens' health and uh, diminishing property values and holding them accountable and, and looking for ways to, again, be proactive and ensure that our policies are protecting our people and our environment uh, today and for the strategic long term. So we're excited about doing it differently. We're excited about the potential um, and the power of uh, empowering all of us with equality. All right. Well, Lisa Campbell is a Democratic candidate uh, in State House District 35. She is in that runoff on August 11th. So you will see her on your ballot if you go vote on the 11th. Lisa, if listeners would like to learn more about your campaign, how could they do that? We would love to connect. Uh, you can reach us in a number of different ways. Check out our website at lisaforgeorgia.com. That's L-I-S-A-S-O-R-G-A.com. Um, you can email me directly at lisa at lisaforgeorgia.com. You can call us at 770-299-9973. Uh, and you can find us out there on social media. We have accounts on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and it's uh, our handle is at Lisa for Georgia. So we'd love to connect. We'd love to hear from you. We do have a survey on our website as well. So if there are issues that are important to you that um, you feel like we haven't addressed, we, we want to know about them and we want to um, understand what's important um, to you. So we, we would love to connect. All right. Well, Lisa Campbell, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all. Oh,